Do you wanna play a game? Do you like scary movies? Do you wanna eat some brains? Is your chainsaw arm groovy? How bloodthirsty could a talking plant be? Eat your liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Come play with us forever, cause down here we all float. I never drink wine, so you're gonna need a bigger boat. Or a throat to choke, whether you're in the prim or dairy. Got red rum where your blood from, put your dead son in a cemetery. It's him or carry, be very afraid. You'll be our number one fan and get carried away. All working, no play, you know it always means you're in trouble, son. I came to chew gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. What if Quint killed Jaws' his father? What if the Bob's body was marijuana? What if the leprechaun got a job as a bank guard? What if the wolfman had a cowbell instead of Every nards? scary movie made since Oscar Wilde was writing letters Had canon to watch them all and tell you how to make them better So put your earbuds in and forget what you're planning It's time to take our heads and shoot them out of a cannon 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 of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Head cannon. Welcome head cannon. to Head Cannon. On today's episode, we've got a very special guest. Uh, you know, I'm Corey Jefferson. My 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 co-host, my partner here, Brent Owens. As always, we've got a very very special guest, a friend of mine. I met on Twitter. I know you're a writer. Uh, I know you're very funny on Twitter. Um, but I'm just now talking to you, kind of in person through Skype for the first time ever. Uh, Tasia, glad to have you on the glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, and b- before we get into um, you know what we're talking about, the movies we're talking about, and everything today, um, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? And uh, predict- like, I know you're a writer, and I've seen um, you know things that you've written, but but can you tell us a little bit about that and and, and what you what style you know what you prefer to write? Okay, um, so yeah, I'm a reporter technically, but right now I'm working for Mental Floss, which is absolutely the most fabulous site ever, and it's a great job. Um, I like a lot of educational stuff, so um, someone on Twitter actually said it's like fun, fun educational, like fun educational <laughs> stuff, which I think is true. Um, because I'm, I'm all about like, hey guys, this is so, so cool, and you need to know. And then they're just like, no one gives a shit. Please calm down. <laughs> um, I think I've, I think I've heard, what's another, um, I think I've heard edutainment as a portmanteau yeah, for something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I write a, um, right now I'm working for Mental Floss, and I'm writing a lot of like fun educational stuff. Uh, my article about the, creator of the chicken nugget was just published actually so um and when i'm not doing that i'm doing a lot of comedy writing i um hoping to get my own comedy show one day my whole goal is now john oliver didn't hire me so i'm just gonna (laughs) take him down and win an emmy so he can sit on the stage one day and bow down to my feet because i'm funnier than him (laughs) right and and he can apply for a job uh, as a writer on your show yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So what, uh, you know, this probably won't go up for another month, maybe month and a half. I don't want to spoil anything from the article you've written, but, but what's the, uh, who, who invented the chicken nugget? This I'm, I'm intrigued now. Like I, I didn't, I never thought about the origin of chicken nuggets. So it is not 
McDonald's. And I don't care what everyone keeps saying because they're like, oh, well, McDonald's created the chicken nugget with the McNugget. And I'm like, okay, but there was an actual creator before that. His name was Robert C. Baker, and he was from New York. Um, he was a professor at Cornell, and he it was right after World War II, and he was just like, oh, chickens aren't popular anymore, so how do we we take something that was absolutely necessary during World War II, and everyone was buying chicken, and that's a very long story of why, but how do we... Um, how do we make it more feasible for people? And so, yeah, he created what was called the chicken stick. And then after that, um, <laughs> like long story short, it became like he passed out for free. He did not pat in the chicken nugget or the chicken stick. He gave it out to everyone, told them yeah. to improve. And McDonald's next thing, you know, got McChicken. And now they're like super rich and he didn't get rich off of that. So... <laughs> That's wild. That's I man, yeah. I would have loved to see like patent trying to patent like no, it's it's chicken. Yeah, it's just chicken, but it's like smaller pieces, and you you fry it. You know. <laughs> well, he had like special batter, and he like the whole process is at that time they didn't ground chicken, so like you bought the birds whole, and you had to deal with cooking the whole chicken. Right. And they didn't have air fryers, so they were putting it in the pan and splattering their skin. <laughs> Right. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I can see how that would make the process a lot easier, a lot faster, rather than cleaning a whole chicken. For your chicken McNuggets, do you prefer the boot or the circle shape? <laughs> I don't know. I've never had them. I prefer the boot because, like, where like the foot of the boot is, like, that's a good that's a good amount to dip into the <laughs> sauce packet. It's like a good shape. <laughs> I prefer chicken tenders to chicken nuggets. Oh, yeah. Right. That's true. <laughs> chicken tenders are superior to the nugget. <laughs> I don't know. Nuggets are just kind of weird to me because I know it's just like ground up and paste together chicken, but it just feels weird to me. And so I like chicken tenders, even though, again, it's an animal, so maybe it's like the whole idea of eating animals isn't appealing sometimes but right um, eating one animal you're eating like a big bucket of a bunch of animals ground up together that's, that's kind of weird to me that's true I think about that, if, like i see milk milk i'm like that's not just for one moo cow <laughs> that's for like a thousand moo cows and they're all milk is all put together it's so weird that is that is absolutely true um <laughs> A good thing I don't drink milk either. I think what they should do, what they should do is instead of like the missing kids on the milk carton, there should be a picture of the cow that you got the milk from, and and it's like in that cart. Right. <laughs> yeah. This, um, is, this is milk from Bessie, right? Yeah. Well, fun story about that's a really long fun story about the missing kids. Well, it's not really fun. It's kind of sad. <laughs> but the, the missing kids on the milk carton, which would take like an hour to cover, so I won't go through it now. But that is something that you should definitely look up after because it is kind of insane. The entire dairy, dairy lobby is insane. Um, so before I was a journalist, I went to law school and I had to take a lobbying law class. And like just to learn about like lobbying and then just 
the, especially like the dairy industry, which please, I hope they do not kill me by saying this. <laughs> they have way too much power and they're absolutely crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I feel like I, I, re- I saw something recently about how like, uh, I think maybe similar to what you were talking about with chicken, there was like, or maybe there was like surplus milk during the depression or post depression. And so they had to do something with all the surplus milk. So to subsidize the dairy farmers, the, the government started buying all this milk and sp- and like government cheese really is the thing. What was that? Man, I was watching something and they were just talking about how there, there are these caves somewhere in the U.S. where they just have like like tons and tons of government cheese stashed in these caves somewhere in the U.S. because the government is still like still buying wild amounts of cheese from dairy farmers. <laughs> Now I'm just imagining someone who's like decided to cut all cords and become a hermit and find a cave somewhere and they're just like, oh my gosh, dude, this cave is filled with cheese. <laughs> I, I live in a key in a cheese cave. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> just like gnawing on it like a rat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, some, something that like, uh, you know, like tripped me out that I'd never, I had no idea this was even a thing, but when I... Because I worked in Indiana, when I lived in Indiana for about seven years, I worked at this nonprofit and it was like a consumer environmental advocacy group. And the main thing was, it was like a utility watchdog group, right? So we, we would intervene at the regulatory level and the legislative level when it comes to like utility companies trying to like raise rates or build another coal plant, anything like that. But one thing, one thing I saw that, that I, I did not expect was there's a huge nursing home lobby. Right. So there's like a whole lobby, like a whole group of people dedicated to making it difficult for old people to stay in their houses. And like their whole goal is to get these people out of their houses and into these nurse nursing homes and, and like anything they can do policy wise to funnel people into these nursing homes is like an actual thing that that happens on a daily basis. A billion dollar industry. OK, it's insane. Yeah, it's wild. Like, we'll get into the. Cor- I will one day just call you both and be like, let's get into the corruption of nursing homes <laughs> right now. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 weird the things that do have lobbies, and you'll one day just be like, oh, what's a lobby for this? Interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I like I was already kind of on this. Uh, I was on board before I I worked with this nonprofit. But especially after working at this nonprofit, like anything that is necessary, like any like fundamental. No, let me rephrase that. Anything that can profit from human suffering should not be privatized. You know, so any like whether that's nursing homes, prison, health care, like anything that the more humans suffer, the more profit it makes. If that's the structure that should not be a private industry where people are making profit. You know. Yes, because you know that's common sense, but right. <laughs> we're also not the billionaires making all the decisions right now. Right. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like I said, I like I was kind of already on board with that, but but thinking of it in that, in those terms, really kind of coalesced for me as I was working for that that organization, Citizens Action Coalition of Indiana, is the organization for anybody interested. There, it's a great organization. But yeah, kind of like put things in in those terms for me. But uh. But speaking of kids on milk cartons and missing children, 
Uh, do, yeah. you, do, do you guys do you guys want to get into uh to how was that? Was that a good segue into it that or was, Stephen King? Yeah, that was the best one. Was okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Tasia, do you want to? Because I think this, I'm a, I'm such a big Stephen King fan. Um, and your suggestion for this episode was is very ambitious, and I love Stephen King, and I'm very excited about it. Do you want to talk about what you selected and maybe kind of give a brief overview? You know, because we're talking about two movies which are based on a book, so the stories are all going to kind of be different, but they're all based on, like, what, you know, kind of give an overview of the story of it, yeah? Okay, so, so first what we're doing, we went through both the original It from 1990 and then the new, re, what you call it, re, reboot, uh, reimagined? Yeah, reboot, remake, yeah. Yeah, the remake from... 2018 I think I don't know when that new one came out from but um, the story of it is about seven kids who live in Derry, Maine and there is this creepy entity who takes the the shape uh, the form of a clown and terrorizes the children in the city and he also murders them, depending <laughs> on how you look at it, because some people say they don't. He doesn't murder them; he just puts them into deadlights. But whatever. Um, but <laughs> you yeah, have those so, those it apologists. I know. <laughs> There's actually really weird how many people are like so in love with Pennywise and would be like, "Oh, it's okay that he was killed. He was uh, not from the earth. Okay, but he still was killing people." <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's Pennywise, the dancing clown, who is terrorizing <laughs> and murdering children in the town of Derry. But there's like a bigger layer of there's something wrong with Derry because e- even if the parents or the adults recognize it, there's just like a lot of small town ickiness, let's call it ickiness, <laughs> within the town, within Derry. And so, yeah, it's seven kids who decides to take on it, who was Pennywise, and defeat him. And the story, it starts when they're kids, and then it goes until when they're adults. So it's very long. The movies are shorter than the book. I was actually going to reread the book before this, but oh wow, I, I didn't have time. So <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, that's, I, I you know... I wish I had read the book recently. I ha- I have not read it since I was I was very I was maybe a teenager the last time I read this book. But something you kind of mentioned fairly recently, I've reread uh, The Shining, The Stand, and Salem's Lot all fairly recently. And and one thing I think that King likes to do is like there's this this evil this like supernatural evil. But I think it always preys on, like, mundane, like, the evil inside of people. You know what I mean? Because whether it's, you know, like, in Salem's Lot, you've already got characters who are either, like, beating... You've got a woman who's, like, beating her kids. You've got, like, you have all these characters who are doing these terrible things already, I think, in all of these books. And then this, like, supernatural evil comes in, and it's just like, it's like, hey, let, let me just give you a little push in a direction, you know? And I think that there's some kind of, like, joy to that idea. Like, I'm not saying, ooh, there's, yay, joy to the supernatural. But the idea that 
if you can defeat a supernatural or you can beat this scary thing, why can't you just stop the abuse from your parents? Why can't you stop the bully in your town? Like, <laughs> yeah, Pennywise, in a way, forces you to grow up and be like, well, screw you, Henry Bowers. You are <laughs> not that that scary compared to this demonic clown. Right. So, <laughs> the fuck off <laughs> <laughs> which i just i want to say brings me to one of my one of my favorite moments and because there are so many good moments in all of this this that we're going to touch on but that just reminds me of uh what is it it chapter two in the second movie when henry shows up and stabs eddie in the face right yeah. and then right. and then eddie stabs him in the chest through the shower uh through the shower curtain but as he's stumbling i think i've got it written down like as he's stumbling out of the room eddie's like He's like, and cut that fucking mullet. It's been like 30 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking cracked me up. As a person, okay, so I saw the first It, like I said, when I was six, and it did not scare me, but mm-hmm. I loved it. And um, I've seen it since then, like multiple times, but watching it back to back, I realized damn, the first one wasn't as good as I remember. Right. <laughs> and, and I was so sad earlier. I was just like, I used to love this one. And now I'm watching it again. Like after, cause I watched the new ones. Then I watched the old one. Um, cause I scoured the internet for like five hours trying to find it for free. And then I was like, fine, I'll just pay the three ninety nine. Um, but yeah, I was just like, I, like, when I was a kid, the original, it just, it, like, spoke to me. I think maybe that's probably why I grew up loving horror, and I used to write a lot of horror stories, much to the chagrin of my um, schools, because they told me I was super disturbed. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I loved it growing up, and I don't even think I read the first book, and or I read the book until I was in high school, because that's a very hard read for yeah, any kid. It's a lot. Um, yeah, especially the very weird orgy scene that's in the book, but thankfully it's not in the movies. Right. Um, I want to, Deja, I want to pause real quick. Brent, what's your experience with it? With it? How, did you get a chance to watch the movies and have you read the book? I've seen the original It, and then I watched the first reboot It. Okay. But not recently. But I, like what I remember from, what I remember from the original It was like, Tim Curry is a, giant spider because <laughs> um, I, I had I have I have asthma and I was like identified with the kid who had it mm. and like when he points the inhaler at the guy and is like this is battery acid asshole or something yeah. like that <laughs> so yes yeah the guy's fake. absolutely <laughs> Tasia do you want to just as since... a side note as a side note my wife has an irrational fear of clowns oh really like oh. Back when was a little kid she went to sleep um, went to a sleepover at a friend's house and this girl had like these cute pictures of like circus clowns like paintings on her wall on her walls uh-huh. and like they fell asleep and then the, the girl like took a couple of them down and then like she woke up and was like and the girl like freaked her out was like they moved or like they went and then so like oh, no, that's so terrible. it makes it really hard to watch a movie like that in my house because everyone's on on summer break now too so all the kids all the little kids are here <laughs> right oh man well, you're, 
Your wife would hate me. I absolutely love clowns. And if they look a little bit scary, I'm happier. I'm just like, yes, scary clown. There's actually a bunch of photos of me on Twitter with just random photos of me standing next to, like, clown, scary clown um, statues. Like, meet my pal. And then people are like, Tasha, I'm pretty sure that clown is shaking his head or waving. And I'm just like, no, you're so afraid of nothing. It's just a clown. That's well. Remember, wasn't there like a, an epidemic of clowns appearing? What was it like yes! four or five years ago? I that, about that. Yeah, that was literally. So that was about the time right before um, the first. Um, well, not the original, but like the first it chapter one movie came okay. out. Yeah, and people thought it was a promotion. And then Stephen King was like, "This is not me." Um, <laughs> whatever, Andy, his director was like, "This is not me." <laughs> And did we ever figure out why the clowns were just randomly chasing people? <laughs> Not that I heard. I didn't know. I have no closure on this. No. <laughs> that must have just been just, just a fluke thing where, like, a few crazy people, they were, like, reading about other crazy people. It's, this, is the, this is the poison that is the internet. It gets all these crazy people with, I like clowns, and I like to chase people and scare Turning folks. each other into clowns. <laughs> and I feel like around that same time, Burger King, maybe it was Burger King, had a commercial making fun of McDonald's and like having a bunch of creepy Ronald McDonald's chase this boy and then he got solace inside Burger King where he was safe. Okay. I don't remember (laughs) that. That's good. So maybe that was just kind of like the apex, like whatever was like the ambient, whatever, you know, the cultural temperature was just like all clowns for a while for some reason maybe i don't know like the burger king the burger king people like point to the scary clown and they're like see kids this is what the chicken mcnuggets are fucking made (laughs) yeah that's why you come to burger king (laughs) give mcdonald's the boot (laughs) chicken fries you can put them in the shape of a cross right (laughs) nice Damn, that's awesome. Well, well, Tasia, for for Brent and any of our, our listeners who may not be familiar with the book, uh, do you want to describe? Because I feel like anyone who's read the book, like you got to talk, and I, I will if you don't want to. It's fine. I'm but not gonna, no, for you, better you, know, you can just ask someone to describe an orgy scene in a book. That's what you're gonna say, right? <laughs> so we're gonna start with Beverly taking off her shirt. Like, I'm <laughs> no. Okay, so there's there's. Stephen King swears that there was a point to this and that, oh, it's them growing up. But there were so many damn ways you could have made them grow up than having sex with each other. Mm -hmm. I became an adult not by having sex with someone. Right. I became an adult different ways, Stephen King. (laughs) And I don't know. Like, he doesn't see why it's wrong and weird. And I just don't understand why. Right. Yeah, it's so basically, Brent. In the in the book, yeah. they they omitted it from the movies and the miniseries, which I think was a good choice. Um, but when the kids go down into the sewer to confront it, right when they're children, because uh, the kids are what like 12, 10, 12, yeah. somewhere in there. Uh, one of the things it's been a long time time since I've read it, but what kind of brings them together and coalesces them as a group is. The one girl in the group, Beverly Marsh, decides to be the first for all six guys in a row, right? So they just, they run a train, and then they... In the sewer. In the sewer, which apparently somehow gives them the power to confront Pennywise. (laughs) And 
possibly connects him so that they can still acknowledge him when he, 27 years later when they come back. Although they don't really, like, even in the books, I'm trying to remember, I don't really think it's clear exactly what made them different than anyone else. Right. <laughs> yeah, they had sex in the sewer. Um, right. At least in the um, in the reboot, um, they have Be- Beverly get um, controlled by the deadlights, and so that's like she still has connection, and Mike doesn't obviously leave, so he's still there. Um, and then they do the little finger or the Cut their, hand cutting. Yeah. yeah, the hand cutting makes more sense than having sex with right. six guys, <laughs> right? Because that's what you want in a life or death situation, you know. Like, and I try, like, I try to think of any other movie where they're like in the in the end of the movie, third act, life or death situation, where the characters would go, "Wait a minute, you know what we need to do right now? We all need to have sex with each other if this is gonna work, you know. If we're gonna well, get out of this I know, alive, I know a movie. What's uh, that? Don't they do that in Chasing Amy? <laughs> It's been so long since I've seen that. I don't know. Like, like we just all need to have sex with each other. <laughs> they say no, but <laughs> I mean, they probably stole it from Stephen King to tell the truth. Yeah, no. But it's also weird because the book takes place in the eighties, mm-hmm. right? That's where they are. No, they're well, in the sixties originally when they were teens. Um, I'm gonna say this. I don't think. 10 and 11-year-olds in the 60s were that understanding of sex. Now, today, I'll say, sure, internet, you see everything. But the 60s, eh, I just don't know if that was like, they were totally ingrained into the idea of sex. When I was 10 and 11, I definitely wasn't. And I mean, I guess I can't speak for guys, but definitely not myself. Right. (laughs) And I I know this is supposed to be like a funny podcast, but... But just hearing you guys talk about the story of what it makes you wonder about the girl, like she's it was her proposal. Like, why is she so um, why is she so much more knowledgeable about sex than the other boys are? And that's kind of dark as well. Well, well, that's her that's... dad molests her. Right. Or, yeah, that, go. It's it's highly implied that he molests her um, in the book. The mom mentions it once and she looks or she acts confused like she doesn't understand. So the mom just thinks that the dad is abusing her. And that's totally okay to the mom is that she's being abused but as long as she's not being molested. Um, but in the movies, they kind of hit hard on the whole he's molesting her, which yeah. makes more sense um, because everyone calls her the slut. Um, she, like the entire town thinks she's fast again she's only like 10 or 11 in this entire movie and book but apparently she's a slut and the adults think this too i'm not even saying just the kids the adults think this too right <laughs> so weird yeah 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 there, there's a lot lot there's a lot going it's on there oddly dark a like franchise and it's like Again, it's the small things of the every single day life. It's dark compared to Pennywise. Like Pennywise, yeah, he's scary. Woo, clown that can turn into your biggest fears. But the real horror is like every single adult in that movie and in, in that book. It's just like they're either checked completely the fuck out and they're just <laughs> like, 
Oh, my kid is doing what? Oh, guys, did you know my kid is missing? Like, please, if I went missing, I am not a kid anymore. I'm a grown adult. If I went missing today, you can bet there is a SWAT team breaking in down my door as my mom calls every person in the world. And, and a lot of them are just like, I'm going to go to the school every single day to make sure that she's not secretly hiding there, but my kid is missing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, um, and anybody who's listening to this, uh, specifically this episode, they may enjoy it. There's a podcast I like to listen to called The King Cast um, with a couple guys, uh, what's, uh, Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi are their names. But they, their episode on Salem's Lot, um, again, Salem's Lot reminds me so much of this as far as like there's just like already evil happening in the town even before the vampire moves in, you know. Um, but they're, the guest, I, I don't remember who they had on the show, but wh- whoever their guest was for that Salem's Lot episode, he was talking about how he grew up in a small town like this where everybody kind of knew each other's business, but also even if they knew there were like dark things going on, they would stay out of it. And he talked about a guy who lived in that town who was like pretty well known as a serial killer. Like everybody in that town kind of knows he's a serial killer. And he was like one of the Boy Scout leaders. And every their parents would be like, oh, make sure you're just not alone with that guy. Um, and and so apparently this guy, this the quote unquote serial killer, is still alive in North Carolina. Like I listened to this episode of the King cast. And then I was like, who is this guy? You, he, There's a Wikipedia page about him. They're like, yeah, he probably killed all these kids, but there's he, <laughs> no one ever – like the cops were incompetent in that area. So there's like no – he was never convicted. There's no hard evidence. But like pretty much there's a general consensus that like, yeah, this dude was like probably a pretty prolific serial killer who's just living his life out in North Carolina right now. <laughs> that is absolutely insane to me that yeah. anyone would be like, yeah – so, Timmy, your scout, your Boy Scout leader is probably a serial killer. So do me a favor, even though you're only seven, I need you to never be alone with the adult. But also, I'm going to let you go off camping with him. Bye, Timmy! Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, and, and you know, and I don't, I don't come from a super small town, so I don't, I don't quite get it, you know, but I grew up in, it was a pretty liberal town, Bloomington, Indiana, but I, I like, I... The periphery of India of Bloomington was like some of that small town vibe, you know, and I can I can see how the, how you just you know they could let some of that like quote unquote I don't really like the term evil but some of that quote unquote evil manifest and just kind of like turn a blind eye to it, you know. Um, and it's so opposite of where I grew up because. Like, there was people who would just tattle on you. Once I rode my uh, Barbie Jeep in the middle of the street, I wasn't supposed to. Um, <laughs> but I was, like, maybe five or six. And I was like, yeah, freedom of the road. <laughs> and this fucking bitch across the street goes and tells my mother. And I'm just like, what? Why are you telling on me that I am riding in the street? So... <laughs> There was no everyone mind their own business in my town. It was everyone was in your business and they telling your mama on you. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is maybe a better, yeah, maybe that's a better way to go. <laughs> Man, you, you got to have the Barbie Power Wheels? That's freaking awesome. <laughs> I did. I had one of those. I always, I always like envied all the kids who had like the Power Wheels. It sounds, looks so cool. <laughs> 
I think I had I had one. I think my sisters actually had the Barbie version. I think they had the Barbie Power Wheel too. Yeah. That's so cool. Like, <laughs> you were basically an adult driving a car without all the car parts of driving a car. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, like driving is actually surprisingly easy when you think about yeah. it. Like, <laughs> when I worked, I worked at this um, elementary school. No, it was when I worked at this middle school. I was in charge. It was like um, I worked in the special ed department, and I w- we had this meeting that we had this new student coming in, and we need to be very careful. And it was like, well, why? What was the story? And he and he, he had been like very defiant, and he got sent to the principal's office when he was in the um, the fifth grade, right? And so he's in the office near the secretary, and the secretary says, "Wait here. The principal's not ready." He goes, "Okay, can I go to the bathroom real quick?" And the secretary says, "Yes." He then army crawls in front of her desk into the principal's office, gets into his coat and grabs his car keys. And then the kid army crawls out of the office into the parking lot, into the staff parking lot and starts pinging with the, with the fob looking for this fucking car. And he finds it. This is a fifth grader. And he climbs in the car and he drives off and he, and he was okay, but he like wrecked it. He like hit, he hit the stop sign. Wow. Um, the room. It was in the country a bit, but so it was safer, I guess. <laughs> I think you got to watch this kid. I'm going to make sure I send this part to my family be- because I, I used to substitute teach and I once lost a student and my parents were always just like, how irresponsible of you. But now look, okay, look, this kid <laughs> stole a car. I am pretty darn good now. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, at least he didn't steal my car and go on a joyride. <laughs> right. But then, like, you're thinking back, like, when you were a little kid, and then they gave you the egg, and you, like, immediately smashed it instead of taking care of it for the day. (laughs) See? It was just all there. And it's just, like, kids are so smart and, like, just beyond. Like, there's a lot of stuff they do, and I'm just like, I didn't think of this. I didn't think you could do this. How did you get into this? I'm, yeah. I just, I, this is why I can't have kids because I'm like, I'm, I won't be a good mother. I will be just like, I, I forgot honestly that they can do stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I just started teaching my oldest to drive recently. She's 14. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So, so we've been out driving a few times and like, I haven't, the last time we went out, I had her drive on a, like an actual road for just a little, for like two minutes from one parking lot to another parking lot. But it's, you know, and I think because I've been driving so long, like it is just intuitive. Like I don't think about it; my body just does it. You know what I mean? Um, but even to see her like be able to pick it up so quick, and there is some like there's like a learning curve there. But he, but it really is like crazy how intuitive it is to drive a car. You know, you're just like hit the gas, turn the wheel, and she's like, oh, okay, cool, I got this. And she's like driving driving around a parking lot within like ten minutes. You know. Um, like light poles and shit like right. immediately up. that's my picture she, yeah she's like sliding it parallel parking between two cars like in a, in a slide just like perfectly sliding in between two cars she's like yeah no problem I, I got this that's amazing <laughs> yeah but <laughs> well so I, I wanted to just kind of go through these movies and talk about some of the people so the first one the 1990 miniseries was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace he directed Halloween 3, Fright Night 2. Um, so this guy's a longtime collaborator of John Carpenter. So he did a lot of stuff with John Carpenter. 
on his stuff. And it was written by a guy named Lawrence D. Cohen, who he did some other St- uh, Stephen King stuff, the Tommyknockers, uh, Nightmare and Dreamscapes, neither of which was very good. The thing that interests me about this guy is the main thing he really did that he's known for is he was a writer on both Carrie movies. So the original one from 1980, some, some whatever, and right. and the more recent one. And apparently Wait, they redid Carrie. They redid Where Carrie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, with what's her name? Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, whatever her name is. Who? Yep. Yeah, I I haven't I, I haven't watched it actually, but I know it came out a few years ago. But but this guy apparently I guess is like Carrie is like the only I don't know if it it seems like the only really successful thing he's done. So he wrote a Carrie musical that opened in 1988 to terrible reviews. It only had like six six uh, showings. Uh, but so this guy I guess like Carrie is his whole thing is like adapting Carrie for for the screen and for the stage. <laughs> yeah, and he wrote. Um, the 1990s version too, of it. No, uh, yes, yeah. So he was a writer for it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did I remember um, that Seth was Seth Green? Did he play one of the kids? Seth Green was Richie as a kid, yeah. Yeah. And then it was just like a blurb I read, and that he was interested in playing the adult version of himself in the se- the sequel reboot. Oh, but really? I guess it never. I don't know. That'd be interesting, though. I mean, I think Bill Hader did such a great job. I was but... going to say, I feel like Bill Hader was born for Richie. Like, yeah. I will say that that's the big thing between the original versus the reboot is that the adult versions of those kids are perfect and spot on in the reboot. And I don't care what anyone says, but they were meant for those roles. Mm. Um, I will say that the original is not as smooth of a transition. And partly, I think, and this is, I'm sure that people will disagree with me, but it's their speech patterns. And um, in the original, is their speech patterns are different. And your speech patterns don't change that much as you grow older. Yeah, words come in and anything, but you still kind of talk the same way you did as a kid. Um, and... Like, in the reboot, they honestly do sound like the same character throughout. Like, yeah, Bill got a little bit older, and but he still kind of has the same mindset, the same speech pattern. Everything kind of feels fluid. And in the original, especially as I rewatched it today, it's just, it feels so choppy at times. And it, like, yanks you out of the story. Um, and I'm just like, oh, dang, I've never noticed this. I mean, in the 90s, it was, like, magical because that was what it was at the time. But now that we're in uh, 2021, you're just like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think think one thing I really liked about It Chapter 2 especially was um, just the way it was directed and the way all of the adults were introduced. There, it, It wasn't quite a montage. But it was almost a montage, like right in the beginning as they're reintroducing you to like James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain and Bill Hader. Like each character only gets like a minute, maybe two minutes to like introduce who they are. This is Bill. Here's what he's up to. He's, you know, a writer for a movie. It's not going well. His endings suck, which is a hilarious running gag. Um, You know, here's Jessica Chastain. She's in this abusive relationship. Here's Ben. He was the 
quote-unquote fat kid when he was a kid, but now he's a successful architect. Uh, here's Bill Hader, you know. And and I really, I love how it, like, cuts to each one. Like, here's 60 to 90 seconds of who this character is. Let's reintroduce you. Yeah, they match the kid. And then they, like, move on, you know. Like, I like the original where you got, like, 45 minutes of them just going through who each of them are. Right. And then... And I think that's another thing. It's like you kind of forget. Like you get so pulled into, oh, Ben is seeing his dad. And then he's back as an adult. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I forgot we were doing this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I do think that they took what was it in the reboot. And instead of trying to, and I think this is a problem a lot of times when movies try to come from books or they try to remake is they try to throw everything in as well as their own interpretation. But this movie was like, nah, we're not doing this. We're going to, here's the source material. We're going to take what we like from it, but we're still going to make it fluid as a real story. Um, Someone once told me that the new it is like lean on me, but with clowns. And I'm just like, yeah, but honestly, that kind of works. Don't you think? Because you can still enjoy the movie and it's not like trying to force horror down your throat. Like the original kind of, like even the original starts with like scary music and you're just like, and then uh, Pennywise like automatically uh, murders the girl in the sheets Mm -hmm. compared to, the reboot where they're like they have this nice moment with georgie georgie and bill and like they build up the suspense but it doesn't really happen until georgie is killed and that's what 15 20 minutes into the movie yeah. so yeah yeah no yeah it's, a, it's a, yeah a lot more character driven and a lot more yeah yeah focused on the characters overcoming certain things and I feel like, so talking about the 1990 miniseries, I feel like we have to talk about Tim Curry for a minute and his... He's still perfect, okay? <laughs> Understand that. I am madly in love with Tim Curry um, <laughs> to this day. Um, Clue is my favorite movie. Clue's good. Clue's good. <laughs> so, so obviously I have a big connection to Tim Curry, and I think he did a great job, but yeah, um... He was just a different version than the current Pennywise. Like, he was the scary version, the, like, I'm going to actually fuck with you version compared to, I think, I think a lot of times the current Pennywise wasn't that scary, and that's okay. I don't think he needed to always be that scary to us. He was scary to the kids, which is the important part. But, like, Tim Curry's version is just, like, there's no, like, fun in this i am torturing you (laughs) (laughs) especially that yeah i just remember that scene where he's like what is it he has the six graves dug but then he has the second or the seventh grave is like covered over it take that one it's already filled yeah 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 that's right yeah 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 no he was great he was menacing um and then you had uh john ritter you know known known at the time especially for comedy um, yeah. I th- America's stepdad. What's that? He's America's stepdad. America's step. Yeah, yeah. But I, I remember <laughs> I watched Problem Child a lot when I was a kid. And did you ever watch that movie Stay Tuned? Of course. Yeah, I feel like it was on HBO all the time when I was a kid. But it's like where they go into the television, and, you know, and they go like every they go through different channels. They're like on a game show, and but um, 
the beauty about that is like he gets sucked into the channel that's Three's company. Oh, oh that, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. I forgot about that. Yeah, I was thinking about that just the other day, actually. That's why it was it was, it was in the chamber. <laughs> that's <laughs> hilarious. Do you think it'd be funny if like they remade Home Alone, but then like as Kevin McAllister enters the hotel, it's Pennywise instead of <laughs> Home Alone. I mean, he's like. Mr. McAllister, your very own cheese pizza. Right. <laughs> just dressed as Pennywise the Clown. Right, but it's Macaulay Culkin from now. He's like 40 years old. Right? He's like, <laughs> Why are you at my house? Yeah, fuck, fuck off, clown. <laughs> uh, but so this also had uh, Jonathan Brandis, who I feel like this guy's pretty tragic. He, you know, he was in, what, The NeverEnding Story 2. I always, as a kid, I always watched Sequest. DSV, right. yeah, yeah. and he was he was on Sequest, and also Sidekicks with Chuck yes. Norris. I feel like that was a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Um, and oh so, yeah, because I'm like, wasn't he in like Ladybugs? <laughs> yeah, I watched really oh, yeah. normal movies. <laughs> yeah, One of my Lady- favorite lines ever, ever is in Ladybugs. It's when um, um oh god, what's the what's the um the comedian guy? Rodney name? Rodney Dangerfield. Um, I can't remember. Goes to someone's yard and there's like all sorts of like limbs and toys all over. He's like, "Oh man, it looks like it looks like the trees threw up." <laughs> it was like such a weird like illustration as a kid in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. But so that's important. Yeah, that that uh, Jonathan Brandis committed suicide. He was like 27 years old, which is like incredibly unfortunate. But uh, so anything else you guys want to touch on or talk about with the miniseries before we kind of move on? I just want to talk about the um, kind of the cast and crew and everything of the uh, the more modern movies. Well, how many episodes was the miniseries? It was. That's a good question. I think it was. I'm... It was two, I believe. Two. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like three hours, but right. it seems so much longer when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because I remember thinking, like, dang, this movie is so long. And thinking it used to be, like, six hours. And it's actually only three. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the original is still a classic. And I think it will always have a a special hold in my heart. But as I got, now that I'm older and I, like, rewatch it, I'm like, oh, this is very 90s. It it looks and feels like 90s. Kids are not going to be afraid of this movie anymore. (laughs) They're going to be like... This is weird, Mom. Why are we watching this? This is not a creepy clown movie. <laughs> um, and you even That's said your your daughter handled the original fine. And she was just like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I was telling Tasha about this earlier, Brent, that, yeah, my daughters both wanted to watch it. And so we watched the ninety the 1990 miniseries. And then when we moved on to the, the modern movies, uh, my oldest Grace, she tapped out. She didn't want to watch them late at night. But Bella watched the watched the two watched all the movies <laughs> with me. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of stinks that like when you, things you watch as a kid that like freaked you out or like you thought was super funny or just like they hit differently as an adult. Like when we did like Monster Squad the other day, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a a part of. And then um, Child's Play for me gave me nightmares as a kid like literally like, i'm I would... still terrified of dolls and i have a porcelain doll in my house that is locked in a closet because <laughs> i'm terrified of dolls yeah man. yeah try watching that movie now and it's like it's it's silly like it's all real silly looking and you'll laugh yeah that's probably yeah i just think that as you grow up it just it's not as scary 
But then that being said, my cousin is still terrified of clowns because of it. And I don't think she's like, even if she rewatched it, I think she would still be traumatized. And I think that's probably a, a big difference is was the movie scary to you versus what did the movie traumatize you? Right. Because if yeah. it traumatized <laughs> you, there's nothing that's going to get rid of that. <laughs> right. Nice. Well, I think there are a couple other people in the movie that I didn't really know these actors before, or I couldn't have named them or recognized them. But um, the guy who played Eddie, uh, Dennis Christopher, was in Breaking Away, right? The movie that they filmed was based in Bloomington, Indiana. For for, for any you know everybody from Bloomington is pretty aware of that movie. And then the guy who played Mike, I, when I was reading about it, I was like, oh yeah, that okay. It's a guy named Tim Reed who was the dad in Sister Sister. If you remember yeah, that show with Tia and Tamara. Dad, um, he also was, he had a nurse show. It was like WKRP in Ohio. Yeah. Um, a radio station, yeah. Um, I mean, that's so old. I don't even think I could tell you anything about it. <laughs> You're like vaguely aware that it exists. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. It's, it's funny how like, as you get older and sometimes you'll see someone and you're like, why do you look so familiar? Who are you? And then you look them up and they're like, Oh, you were the, I know who you are now. And it's just like, okay, well, Tasha, <laughs> you're way too excited about this. But, <laughs> <laughs> but even like Annette O'Toole, like, mm -hmm. um, she was in Superman three in the eighties. And then she was in this TV show called Smallville. And it's just like, whenever I see her, I'm just like, I know you. And then I'm like, Oh, Annette O'Toole. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and I knew that name when I was watching this, I was like, Oh, Annette O'Toole. I know that name. And then I looked up her credits and yeah, I saw Superman on there and, and I was like, I, I, I was expecting like more, you know, cause I, I recognized the name and I was like, Oh, I kind of expected to, to know more things that she was from. I was like, why do I know this name? And I don't know if I've ever seen anything she's done before, but I know her name, you know? <laughs> uh, but I think her husband is, um, who was it? Michael McKean, I think. Who's a, who's a hilarious actor, but yeah. Anyway. Um, I think she married him. Who was she married to before? Oh, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Work. I don't know if they're still married. I I don't know. People divorce a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like your neighbor across the street should do. Or your neighbor. <laughs> hey, neighbor, if you're watching this, if you keep screaming outside the apartment, I am going to tell your wife that you're cheating on her. <laughs> Are you getting back at her for the Barbie car thing? No, no. Oh, no, 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 no. This is my current neighbor. This is the current neighbor. Arguing with his wife outside, and I'm getting annoyed. <laughs> no. And uh, Tasia was telling me about this earlier. <laughs> but so the new movies, it's um, they were he has a writing credit, and I think a guy named Kerry uh, Fukunaga was going to direct it, but then he dropped out. But I really, this guy, he directed, he had a big hand in the HBO show True Detective, which is one of my favorite shows. Um, the first season, the second and third season, not as much. That's the vampire show? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's the one with, okay. with that's True Blood, but uh, oh, yeah. who, who actually, True Blood starring the brother of Pennywise from this show. 
<laughs> of this movie. So, so Bill Skarsgård. Well, okay, you know we'll go off on this detour. So Bill Skarsgård plays <laughs> plays Pennywise, the dancing clown, right? Right. His his brother There's like is, a billion of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so his brother Alexander Skarsgård is the main character in, or well, one of the main characters in True Blood, um, and he also played the walking dude, the man in black in, uh, the Stand miniseries they did recently. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I know who he is now. Yeah. Um, Can I ask a question about Pennywise? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is his title Pennywise the Dancing Clown? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Follow up question then. Um, no, he is not a clown technically. <laughs> right, but he's based on like a paranormal entity. Yes. He's a paranormal entity that takes the form of a clown because clowns are supposed to be like wholesome, wholesome to kids. But so, he's technically not a clown. Yeah. So why would the paranormal entity claim that he's also the dancing clown? I don't know. Because <laughs> he likes dancing. <laughs> as much as I love it, there's a lot of things where you look back and you're just like, wait, this doesn't actually make sense. <laughs> Because <laughs> Pennywise, Penny, like, gotta make this scarier. Pennywise, let's call him the, the, the title. He's the dancing. Clown. You know, Brent, Pennywise just wants to get down. He doesn't have a reason, right? Why do people dance? Why do humans dance? There's no. It's just. It feels good, you know. Yeah. And he dances like once through the entire series. Is that how you remember? Right. Right. Well, and one of my favorite bits is where. Uh, Bill Hader kind of mocks him, like when they're later when they all come together as adults. Bill Hader is like, uh, what's he say? He he says something like, "We all float down here" or something, and then he comes out of the shadows. He's like, "Remember, remember, guys, when Pennywise would say that shit, and then he dance like fucking this." You know, he's like mocking Pennywise. <laughs> right. So he apparently does dance a lot. We just see it only once, right. which makes no sense when you think about it if he is the scary dancing clown make him dance every time he's killing people i don't know <laughs> he can make a scary dance right like that childish gambino video it should just be like him like like moonwalking <laughs> moonwalking with these giant shoes into the room just killing kids yeah. <laughs> wait are you talking about this is america is that what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck alright so <laughs> so anyway so that's it so that's uh, that's Bill Skarsgård and his dad is actually a well known actor too Skel- Stellan Skarsgård who's been in lots of stuff um, and then his his brother Walter Skarsgård uh, people know him as the king of Twitter I don't really we have lots of mutual friends I don't really know Walter um, I think I've been in a room with him once and I think I said one word to him He's super nice, I'm sure, but yeah, I don't know him. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, but it was, but so Carrie Fukunaga. Uh, so the show Tr- uh, True Detective was starring Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Um, and I, I love the show. I, I think it was a great show. It was really a short mini. I think it was like eight episodes, and every season is a totally different show. It's kind of an anthology series, I guess. But it had like heavy Lovecraftian vibes true detective did it's probably one of my favorite lovecraft inspired things and i I almost wonder what a fukunaga version of it would be because 
I think about Lovecraft and Stephen King a lot, and I know that Stephen King loves Lovecraft, racist bastard though he was, but but I think Lovecraft, his stories were more, the horror is unknowable, and it's so vast and incomprehensible, he can't ever describe it, you know, which makes And you can't defeat the horror in his stories. Right. Um... Because this is actually what I studied in undergrad. I, like, have a major in English literature with a concentration in dark literature, specifically Lovecraftian, Gaiman, and King. Lay, lay it on us, please. Please. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, like, King did love um, Lovecraft. And, I mean, obviously, Lovecraft's monsters or creatures or entities, whatever you want to call them, they were just, like, so you can't know and you can never understand and your life is mundane but accept the mundane because you don't want to know the supernatural and when you know there's no defeat in them mm-hmm. so in a way i kind of feel like stephen king did didn't actually get lovecraft's full like mundaneness of like the human being because Pennywise is defeated. Yeah. Every supernatural in King is defeated. And yay, good thing these kids are super strong or, or whatever, but like it's so not Lovecraft because they're winning. Yeah. And we shouldn't be able to win. <laughs> I to- that I to- I absolutely agree and that's something I wanted to talk about on this this episode for sure is that I think King he's so tied to like human motivations human human uh, emotions. I think everything he writes, even when he tries to write a Lovecraftian creature, he humanizes it and gives it human motivations, human values, human emotions. And I just, I, yeah, I think even when he, he's trying to do Lovecraft, he can't, he can't. I think he Stephen Kinganizes it, you know? <laughs> and I mean, and that's totally fine. Like, yeah. I think it works and I think that so many people like there's like the continual uh, works of Cthulhu where all these other authors write their own versions of Lovecraft and monsters and everything and some of them work a lot of them do not Mm -hmm. um but yeah so I think like Stephen King figured out how to make it work for him yeah but yeah they're not they're not Lovecraft and monsters because at the end of the day I'm not terrified of Pennywise, and I know that apparently just yelling that you're a clown will make him weak. So, <laughs> right. like, I don't, I don't understand why I should be as afraid of him as I am of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, Cthulhu's gonna fuck me very hard, <laughs> and it's not gonna be fun. Right. But um, Pennywise. I can take you in a boxing match. Anyway. <laughs> right, you can defeat him. Yeah, if you just believe. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's so. That's so. I don't. If you haven't, if you especially if you're into Lovecraft and you haven't seen True Detective, I would recommend the first season. Seasons okay. two and three are not necessary, but the first season. Um, and then also, have you read Revival? It's it's a newer Stephen King book. No, they're um they're on my list. And I think I actually have them in a pile, but I just graduated from grad school. And <laughs> so last time I read for, well, I've been reading for fun like this last two weeks, but like last time I read something real new for fun, four years ago. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, 
if when you get when you go to read something for fun, I think Revival is one of my favorite current like modern Stephen King stories, and I think it's his most successful attempt. Maybe that and The Mist are the most successful attempts at doing Lovecraft, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Stephen King doesn't need to be Lovecraft. Just like I think, like people are always like, oh well, Gaiman tries the same thing. No, he doesn't. I think Gaiman really figured out his niche, mm-hmm. and I think most horror writers do. Maybe we all draw from Lovecraft. Actually, I think I would probably draw more from Mary Shelley. But um, <laughs> but the idea that we all kind of draw from the idea of there's something more to this world that we can't truly comprehend. Yeah, I feel like that's just human nature like we're always afraid of the unknown this is why the ocean is scary for some people and space is scary for other people right yeah absolutely so yeah i just want to kind of talk about the newer cast obviously we talked about some of the 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 talented older older cast Uh, you've also got finn wolfhard in here from stranger things you know some of these these younger kids you've got uh james mcavoy we mentioned before jessica chastain bill Hader. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, one the woman who plays she's not as prevalent in the movies as she was in the miniseries, but Bill's, I think it's his wife Audra, right, is, is played by Jess Wexler, who was in the movie Teeth, which I have not seen that movie, um, but at some point maybe on the show we'll cover Teeth. Um, I've never seen it either. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's kind of a goofy horror comedy of. Uh, where she has uh, what's it called, vagina dentata, which is teeth, teeth in the you vagina. Should definitely have Buffy on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, Buffy. Yeah, yeah. Seth Green. Seth Green was in Buffy. Throwing back to that. Um, but um, yeah. So anything. I'm just kind of looking through my notes here for moments I want to touch on. But anything you guys, anything else you guys want to touch on from either of the movies or the book or anything? No, no. I absolutely love both versions of the old reboot. Um, no, I find uh, I was just thinking like, what was my favorite moments? And it's so hard to pick. Oh, you know, I really, I've always loved Beep Beep Richie, and that's actually um, one of my ringtones for a friend. So <laughs> I always, I always love any scene that says Beep Beep Richie. Um, <laughs> Which means end of the joke, fun story. That actually means like end of the joke, Richie. Um, but <laughs> apparently, no one knew that but me because I'm a loser. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's all right. We're all in the losers club. That's why we're here. So it's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big loser club. <laughs> um, and maybe that's also kind of why I like it growing up was because. I was kind of super nerdy and a loser because I loved to read and I wasn't like, I just didn't want to play on the playscape. That was terrible for me. So I'd rather spend my time in the library. So, <laughs> right. Makes like, sense. like Ben, like Ben in the later movies. Well, and that's an interesting change was they had Mike, I think in the book, but definitely in the miniseries, he was kind of the one who was, uh, exploring the town's past and kind of got Pennywise's history, whereas in the movies they made it Ben, right? I feel like it's both in the books, mm. and so that's possibly why. Because I do remember uh, 
like Ben in the book, and then Mike lives. I feel like he used to live in the lighthouse, not the library for some reason in the book, hmm. but it probably was the library and I just pictured a lighthouse. <laughs> um, Which, how awesome would it be to live in a library? Just like go down, grab whatever books or like whatever. That is my dream. Like, <laughs> I want to, like whoever decides to propose and marry to marry me, we're going to live in a library or you're going to have to give me a library. Like one of the two, but if I can't have a room dedicated to books, you're not meant for me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Deal breaker. <laughs> nice. Well, I also wanted to mention, um, just any, are you a dark tower fan at all? Have you read the dark tower series or? No, I mean, I've read the first one. It was like, eh. um, I'm sorry, Stephen King. I still love you. And if you ever listen to this, please just tweet me a hi. But um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've heard people say that before because the first one is, yeah, it's a weird, like straight up Western. It's dreary. I, I mean, you know, you the it changes a lot in the second one. Like the book go it like takes a sharp right turn into a different territory with the the second one. But um this is what everyone tells me about harry potter oh no tasia get past the first book and you'll love it but i have to read the first book to love it <laughs> right well you've already read the first one though you've already read the gunslinger though right i think i got halfway through and was like no <laughs> oh that's all right if you're ever interested it does it is like the gunslinger feels like it was written by a very young man um and i and i think you know but so it, being that, that the Dark Tower series kind of ties together Stephen King's whole universe and kind of um, represents a lot of his underlying beliefs and philosophies and recurrent themes throughout his work, uh, uh, his work I think it's worth mentioning that uh, in the Dark Tower, what, and this isn't going to make sense to anybody who hasn't really read the Dark Tower series, but, you know, uh, one of the guardians of the beans is the turtle Maturin. Uh, who's almost this like godlike turtle god um but there's when ben is in the school there's a turtle statue on the desk and when mike is talking about uh when he went on his like dream quest with the native americans or whatever that whole section was uh the drug he takes is called maturin which is the name of the turtle in the dark tower books which i think is a nice um uh, a nice well the turtles in the book of it too am i crazy yes it is oh you might be right it's been a long time since i've read it yeah yeah it's been like 10 years for me um but yeah so it's i think it's nice to have the reference to the turtle i also kind of vaguely remember a scene in the first movie i mean like in the first reboot a reboot where Bill picks up a turtle in Georgie's room, but of course I could be imagining that. Right. <laughs> so I feel like there's turtle references throughout the movie, but don't don't trust me on that. Yeah. No, that would make sense. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to touch on was Stephen King's cameo in the second movie, <laughs> right? When James McAvoy goes in to get his bike silver, um. Which I think, I, this thought occurred to me later, and I know obviously Hi-Ho Silver, like Silver is the Lone Ranger's horse and everything, but when Bill, in both the miniseries at times and the movies, like Bill runs off after himself 
Uh, ben, he runs off by himself to chase after Georgie. And I was like, God damn it, Bill. Like, quit run, like fucking quit leaving your friends. Like, it's not going to end well. And so I had the thought, like, I, do, I have no idea. But maybe if that was a reference to him being a lone ranger and, like, running off by himself is why he named his horse or his, his bike Silver. I don't know. Maybe there's nothing to that. Um, I mean, that's a good uh, interpretation. I never thought about it that way, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Stephen King always cameos his stuff. I don't, I can't say always because I don't know for sure, but he's definitely ca- uh, do cameos a lot. Um, he was in Maximum Overdrive. Um, well, he, he directed that one. Yeah. Was I'm just trying to think of like all his cameos, and now I'm like can't think of one of them because <laughs> I remember he was in the Shining min, uh, miniseries too. Mm. Um, now, great. Now I can't even think of any of them, <laughs> but he cameos a lot. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. Well, I think he has a lot of friends in the film industry, and because um, obviously they keep making movies out of his stuff, but. Um, I thought it was interesting that James McAvoy's character, even in the beginning when they introduce him, the director's like, you got to finish this script. We need an ending for the movie. And everybody's telling him how much his endings suck, uh, which is obviously that's a recurring criticism of Stephen King's work is that his endings suck. Like people are like, we love your books. The journey's great. The endings kind of suck. Uh, which... I mean, I, I think a part of him knew that and, was making fun of his critics, but I also think it was like a self-awareness of endings aren't easy. Yeah. And maybe I need to focus more on the characters to have a good ending. Yeah. Did he, did he do that? Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. Well, and I think, I think like, I know I've read at least, I've read a couple of his books that I think get criticism for their ending. And, a couple of them at least I think were intentionally anticlimactic because and the point seems to be is like that's that's how real life is like things don't have a necessarily have like a great satisfying climactic ending like things just kind of happen you know um but I thought it was funny like in that in that scene Stephen King is reading Bill's book you know and and James McAvoy he's like you want me to sign that for you and he's like nah the ending sucks like <laughs> like it's yeah. like Stephen King taking a little jab at himself <laughs> yeah i think you got to be able to make fun of yourself um actually did you ever read what was the 1160 no 112260 whatever right, about JFK um, the JFK um, yeah. I, that's one i have not read i've heard it's great like that yeah he does he enjoys having i mean well before the you know the marvel cinematic universe i mean i guess they were already doing that in the comic books but he was already tying together his 
you know, all his stuff. And, and well, there was something else I wanted to talk about. Totally just jumped out of my mind. Shit. Well, either. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about what is your favorite scene? Oh, man. I, there's so much, I feel like all of Richie's lines are just some of the funniest. And especially when he's like, uh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just say my favorite scene is where he's like in the sewer at the, like the kids are about to, they're like at their, you know, climactic battle with it. And he's kind of yelling at Bill and you think he's like, I'm done with this shit. It's too much. I'm over. And he's like, you dragged me in the sewer. I'm dirty. Like I gotta, you know, it's terrible. My friends are dying. And then he like grabs a baseball bat or whatever. And he's like, and now I have to kill this fucking clown. And they, then that's when they like rally together to defeat Pennywise, you know? And then the great callback in chapter two, mm-hmm. when they're going into the house and then Bill's like, well, Richie said it before. And then he gives like seven different answers. And then he's like, like confused, like let's kill this fucking clown. And they're like, yeah, what the fuck is wrong with you? Of course that's the one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great line. Um, And I feel like the, the director, Andy Muschietti, um, just watching the first one and the second one kind of back to back, I feel like he grew a lot as a director and kind of got more confident because there's, I wrote down some of these shots here. There's like, uh, you know, he, what is it? You, you meet uh, Ben as an architect and then it like kind of, there's, it goes out outside of his house and then you kind of see these lights through the trees and then the camera pans up and that's when it goes to this like fairground uh, where you meet the the gay couple who is, which I gotta say, man, that was one of the hardest. Especially the, like for me and both my thing daughter. About that movie is the hate crime. Yeah, it's so because yeah. everything else is like the supernatural. It's not really real, but like that scene is tough to watch because it's like I don't. It's just like more realistic than anything else in the movie, you know. Because it hints like the rest of the movie hints at all the horribleness in the town, but it is not as explicit as three people being the crap out of a gay couple for minding their own business at a carnival. And then literally they kill, they are like, oh, he needs asthma. Let's beat uh, his inhaler because he has asthma. Let's beat him and then throw him into the river. Yeah. Like you're killing someone. Yeah, They're that's murder. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that that's, and, and you don't expect it in the movie, I think, is like just takes you and you're just like, oh, fuck like two is not playing around yeah 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 that that scene is by far out of every scene in all of these movies that's the hardest scene to watch because it's i don't know it just feels like the most it's not you're not it's it's harder to tell myself like oh that's just like a movie you know that's like a distant you know it's not a real thing it's like oh fuck you know no that that definitely happens all the time still today and i think that's why it's so hard like, you can deal with scary clowns and um, <laughs> mummies and zombies, but, like, because you know in your head they're not real, but hate crimes, uh, prejudice, that's still a thing. Right, yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, Tasia, I know you've got another call in about 13 minutes, so I want to wrap this up. I, I want to go ahead and kind of, I'll go around and ask you guys your head canon of these movies and kind of what what is not in the book or in the movies what's not stated but kind of what in your own head is is part of these movies that makes the story better i'll go ahead and give go first give you guys a chance to think but i think you know in all and especially the uh the the recent movies the andy muschietti movies if that's i might be butchering his name but 
you know, it's all about, especially at the end of It Chapter 2, they overcome their, what whatever it might be. You know, Bill overcomes his guilt for Georgie. He's like, you know, you were sick. You didn't feel like going out in the rain. That's not a crime. You didn't kill your brother. You know, and, and there's that scene with Ben and Beverly where, which is a really cool scene. She kicks the bathroom door open and it opens like down into that clubhouse in the ground and they kind of like save each other. And I think the whole point is like, be who you want to be. Don't, you know, don't tie yourself down to these, you know, whatever it might be. But so my, my theory is that Pennywise and as terrible as he is, um, maybe he's really just like this, this like cosmic monster, but he's, he's a therapist, right? So he's really trying to like psychoanalyze these, these people and like get them to front, confront their fears and become better people. He just like does it in this terrible, <laughs> terrible, evil clown murderous way. So that's my headcanon. I mean, I definitely wouldn't say he's a therapist, but I would also agree that Pennywise is good for the characters in this series. <laughs> and people always are like, okay, killer clown. But I was like, yes, but they grew up and they <laughs> overcame those issues. And even when he brought them back, he got rid of the problems that they're still putting themselves into because Beverly is still with uh, is now with an abusive husband mm. instead of an abusive dad, and Ben is still alone, lo- uh, the loner, and um, Eddie is still with an overbearing person. Now it's just his wife instead of his mother. So, I mean, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you when you say that Pennywise is pretty good for them <laughs> right yeah I'm, I'm half joking but i'm half which that's an interesting change too is i, I had that same thought because it changed to his wife instead of his mom and then i was right. like oh that's an interesting change and then even on the phone call when he gets into his car accident he's like she's like say goodbye or whatever and he's like i love you mommy and she's like wait what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but so how about you brent what's your head canon well, I was thinking about, like, the Tim Curry Pennywise. And, like, you know, like, a good monster movie, you don't show the monster a whole lot, you know, because, mm-hmm. like, you don't want the audience to get used to it, so it's, like, real creepy every time. So, like, it'd be, I thought it'd be interesting if, like, Pennywise is sharing his time between, like, being this horrible clown murderous, like, being and like, and then he's, like, the butler at a big mansion. <laughs> so, like... It's like his day job. <laughs> They're always, like, running around, you know, because he's, like, got to put all that shit on his face and, like, get it all garb- garbed up and stuff. <laughs> and, like, there's, like, a, there's, like, a dead body in Clue, like a Mr. Body. <laughs> They're not even, like, hair-coding. It's, like, a dead body named Mr. Body. And then he's got to go back to, to the two worlds, you know. <laughs> nice. So what you're saying is there's parallel universes yeah. <laughs> and which Tim Curry is both and, and Mr. Um, Wadsworth, and he yep. has to keep going back and forth. It's like the movie Sliding Doors, where it's like, it's like a bar, a That's why they're all running around all the time. Like, so, <laughs> but Tim Curry is Gwyneth Paltrow, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's, also, he's also Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> On next week's episode, we're going to be talking to a very special guest about the 2018 movie Hereditary. And we're going to be talking to an animator by the name of Adam Dix, who has worked for Nickelodeon, Disney. He's worked on probably something you've seen, some of your favorite properties. So 
Be sure to watch that movie and check out our episode on Hereditary next week. Well, one more thing I wanted to mention. I, I wanted to mention during the Dark Tower stuff. I didn't get a chance to bring it up, but there's a character later in the series who drains people's energy, uh, and it's like a, a sibling species of it. But it, it drains people's energy by telling jokes and making them laugh, rather well, so than. So it's my ex boyfriend. It's. <laughs> Oh no! Was that was that trick? Yeah, apparently he's in the Dark Tower, the seventh book. So, <laughs> no. Yeah. All right, well, Tasia, we'll let you get, get going. This has been great. You've been such a good guest. This is so man, so enlightening on some of this stuff. We appreciate you know you coming on. Of course, I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, it was fun, and like I said, I I love it, and it it really forced me to to watch something that I super enjoy that I don't do on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that that's what that's kind of what I love about this podcast that we've been doing. Like, is is yeah, watching movies in a like in an intentional way with the idea of like analyzing them and 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 like you just watch them in a different way, you know? Um, yeah, because I don't know if I if I wasn't watching it with the idea I'm coming on here, I don't think I would have noticed how choppy the original was versus the uh, the new one, and it's just like. It had more of a purpose, and that's nice. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Was well, there anything you want to plug, or any any place you want to direct people while you, you know, you have the ears of our maybe twelve listeners on here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just you wait. You're gonna have like thousands of thousands, and then you're gonna be like Tasia, who? Oh yeah, she was like on our first few episodes. Who cares about her? <laughs> um, uh, no. Uh, you can find me at, on Twitter at Groovy Tasia and you can look for some articles on mental floss. You can also watch the Tasia show, which does not actually exist yet, but yet. you can imagine it. And <laughs> right. And jo John Oliver, John Oliver, Oliver is a writer for your show, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I'm calling you out right now, John Oliver. I will win that Emmy against you. Yeah. Just be prepared. <laughs> you should have hired Tasia. You should have hired her. <laughs> we hashtag higher tasia. Don't act like you didn't see it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again, and uh, everybody, thank you. thank you. This is headcanon. Ah! Oh,